0: What a pleasure it is to be here with you all this morning on this very special Sunday. I uh, Luann and I, we view this uh, we view you all Mercy Hill as our second church home and it's great to be able to witness these special things that have taken place this morning to hear the uh, testimonies of our graduates and it kind of reminded me when I first met Luann. I came from the country from West Virginia. She grew up in South Jersey. As I got to know uh, Luann's family and her extended family, it was very confusing to figure out who were the legitimate real relatives, the real aunts and uncles from all of the adopted aunts and uncles that she had. You know? So it's, it was just very special to hear the testimonies of both of our graduates, and thank you all so much for sharing that and we too will be praying for you. Also, Father's Day, it's great to be here with all of our fathers, and we pray that you each will have a very special day, and uh, we're very thankful for you, and thank you very much, Phil, for the opportunity to be here again today, and I'm just very honored to be able to share with you all this morning. I'd like to begin by just just a little quick little story about my wife. it's funny, the grandkids, they were looking at my notes as I was, right when I first came here and, and Corinne, Rin, we call her Rinny, I don't know what you all call her, we call her Rinny, said ooh la la, why do you have ooh la la in, on your, in your sermon notes? Let me explain. So uh, my, my wife Luann, has a twin brother. I'd like to say I married the better looking of the two. Anyway, her twin brother, his name is Bill, they're very close, and she enjoys when they're out to introduce him to people he would never met, and she proudly introduces him as her twin. And as brothers often do, he likes to give her a hard time, and so I will interject Rennie's comment right here. He often says, he will say, ooh-la-la, Luann." He doesn't say ooh-la-la, but that's what Rennie saw in my notes. Oh, Luann, you know that you're adopted. So he likes to, to uh, give, interject a little denial as, as, they are, as he is meeting new people that she is introducing him to. But you see, not all denials are shrouded in jest, are they? And today, in today's message, we're going to see that that is true. I'd like to ask you to turn with me to Mark chapter 14. And this will be our text today. Mark chapter 14, a very critical event that takes place in the life of Peter and the disciples. Your pastor, Phil, has been going through a series in 1 Peter last Sunday. I understand that you were in chapter 4 of 1 Peter. Mark chapter 14 and verse 1 reads like this. It was just two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The chief priests and the scribes were looking for a cunning way to arrest Jesus and kill him. Not during the festival, they said, so that there won't be a riot among the people. And as you continue to read early in chapter 14, there are several other events that take place that kind of lay the foundation for what we're gonna be looking at here this morning. The first thing is that in verses three through nine, a woman, we read in other places, it's Mary. She anoints Jesus at Bethany. In verses 10 and 11, we see that Judas turns and he visits with the chief priests and talks with them about betraying Jesus. And the chief priests Agree to pay him for this. And then finally in verses 12 through 25, we see that Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper at his last Passover. And as I was studying these verses, the foundation for this message, and the early events that take place in Mark chapter 14, there was one thing that that stood out to me that I, it was just a glaring realization that early in Mark chapter 14, you see that the Jewish people prepared and observed the Passover. However, they totally missed Jesus as the Passover lamb. Also, one commentator commenting on the previous, on the early events in Mark's chap, Mark chapter 14 describes what happens, especially Judas visiting the chief priests, as a crossing of the Rubicon. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of that term in history, as you've studied history. To cross the Rubicon means to commit to a particular course of action which can't be reversed. And the phrase specifically refers to how Julius Caesar crossed the Rubicon River and became engaged in the Civil War in 49 BCE. So you see there is a crossing of the Rubicon that happens early in this chapter that sets the stage for what we're going to study here. In Mark 14 we see that the Jewish leaders with the help of Judas commit acts which lead them to cross the Rubicon and their plot to kill Jesus. And Jesus knows these things are about to happen. And so he prepares his disciples for what is going to take place, what is inevitable. His betrayal, his arrest, and his death on the cross, and his resurrection. And so it's in the context of this impending spiritual battle that we see the true nature of the disciples revealed especially Peter. In this chapter, we're going to be studying about how Peter denies Jesus. And so the big idea that I have for you this morning is this. If this is the only thing you get out of my message today, I I hope it's this. That faithfulness to Jesus is flawed when you and I live in weakness and self-will. And I think that's an appropriate lesson for us on Father's Day. Isn't it, fathers? You and I, our faithfulness to Jesus is flawed when we live in our weakness and self-will. It's a reminder to us that we can't be living in our own weakness and self-will. We will never succeed, will we? It's only by recognizing our weakness and living in his strength and yielding our will to his, that we accomplish what he desires for us. So look with me in Mark chapter 14, verse 26, as this sets the stage for what we're going to be looking at this morning. Mark chapter 14, verse 26. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So they're heading out to the Mount of Olives, And then notice in verse 27, Jesus' words. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice you will deny me 3 times but he peter said emphatically if i must die with you i will not deny you and they all said the same you see mark 14:27 to 33 it reveals a poignant moment in the journey of the disciples it highlights the prediction of Peter's denial. And it's a foretelling of acts that serve as a catalyst for a transformative time in Peter's life and in his spiritual journey. Look back to verse 27. Because Jesus, with divine foresight, shares a prophecy. And he says to them, you will all fall away. You see, Jesus predicts where his disciples, as they sense fear and confusion during his rest and his crucifixion, they temporarily distance themselves from him. But yet, I think it's encouraging to look at this because it's an, it's encourage, an encouragement because for them, it's not a permanent loss of faith, but a momentary test admits diver, ad, adversity. The disciples reveal here, and Peter reveals here, his human frailty, but we know later on that Jesus restores Peter. And his words eventually promise victory and renewed faith. Did you notice as, as I read that passage and as you read the passage, Jesus refers to an Old Testament prophecy? Zechariah 13, 7. He says, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. You see, Jesus is referring to himself as the shepherd that will be struck and his disciples as the scattering sheep. And he intertwines his impending suffering with their falling away and their desertion. But that doesn't only reveal his awareness of the future, but it also serves later on, I'm sure not at that moment, but later on as a beacon of hope for the disciples. And I'm I'm very thankful for that. However, as you notice as we read on, Peter, the ever-zealous disciple, expresses a vehement denial of what Jesus just said. Can you imagine? Speaking to Jesus like this, it takes a lot of guts, doesn't it? What does Peter say? Even though they, pointing to the disciples, all fall away, I will not. Kind of reminds me of some sports fans. Not Eagles fans. Eagles fans (laughs) would never act like that, would they? But some other sports fans, maybe those who Have a star, you know, that they, no, we won't go there. I'm I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That was not in my notes, and so you see what happens when you wander from your notes, you get into trouble. Uh, I'm sorry about that. You see, I think it's Peter says this. What Peter's doing is he's expressing his devotion to Jesus. But what he also is doing at the same time is He's revealing his reliance on his own strength. His declaration springs from love, but also highlights his own self-assurance in his own abilities. You see, self-reliance in moderation is essential for spiritual growth and leadership. And I'm so thankful to hear about your men's ministry here and about you providing some great tools for for the men to read, and that's very encouraging because, as we know, in today's age, our men need a lot of encouragement in their walk with Jesus, and so I'm very thankful for that. I may, you know, I I, I have enough books in my library, but I may also visit your collection afterwards. Um, My wife is saying, no, he doesn't need any more books. But we do, if they're really good books. You see, men, especially fathers, often bear the weight of responsibilities which require us to sometimes make really difficult decisions and be pillars of support. And Peter's own confidence mirrored that strength and determination that's expected of men as we're in positions of authority. However, and I encourage each of our men here to especially notice this, that Peter's downfall stemmed from an excessive reliance on his own strength rather than acknowledging his limitations. And you see, man, that's where we often, we often get in trouble because we overemphasize our, uh, our self-reliance. We, we don't see our blind spots. We refuse to see our blind spots. And then when we're confronted with a test, we often fail in that test because we're relying on our own strength and rather than acknowledging our limitations. And I want to encourage each of you, men and fathers especially today, with this reminder that true strength relies in recognizing when we need to seek support and guidance from others. You see guys, that's not a weakness to seek support and guidance from others. That's a true sign of strength. When you were willing to, to say to yourself, you know, I'm really struggling in this area, and I know if I continue to rely on myself, it's going to lead to further failure. True strength is, acknowledges the fact that we need support and guidance from others. One other thing, I believe, um, Peter realized later, later on, probably later on in this evening, um, he realized that he lacked humility in that declaration. You see, the denial of Jesus later in the passage exposed the fact that even the most comfortable, or the most, not comfortable, the most confident of us can stumble even the most confident of us can stumble. And humility allows us to embrace vulnerability and acknowledge our fallibility. You see, humility fosters an atmosphere of empathy and openness and enables us to grow deeper in our connections with others. And that's a real test of fatherhood, isn't it? I know as... Scott and his sister Carrie were growing up. I was often humbled by things that happened. I'll never forget one evening, or one day, Scott and his sister were down in the playroom and as brothers and sisters sometimes do, they were having a little bit of an argument. And uh, actually the, uh, the tone of the argument floated upstairs and I as the, you know, capable father, went downstairs and I walked into the room and I made my pronouncement of what I thought was wrong and what should be made right. And Scott, Scott was usually the really, really good one. You know, we just had to look at him and he knew that we were disappointed with him. His sister was a different story. And so when I made my big pronouncement of what was wrong and what needed to be corrected, she looked at me and said, but that's not what that's not what we were fighting about. Talk about a humbling moment. So I had to backtrack and backtrack find out what was really going on. You see, fatherhood presents us with many challenges that balance self-reliance and humility. And we need to learn from Peter's story here. So following Peter's declaration, notice what happens in verses 30 and 31. The text says, and Jesus says, Truly I tell you, Jesus said to him, today, this very night, before the rooster crows, twice, you will deny me three times. But he kept insisting. Notice, it wasn't just once. I think he probably insisted a few times. If I had to die with you, I will never deny you. And they all said the same thing. You see this exchange between Jesus and Peter uncovers a lot for us to apply to our lives and I'd just like to point out a couple of these things very quickly. You see the the nature of human frailty and the limits of our own strength are pointed out here once again. Peter was known for his unwavering loyalty but yet he also exposed his weakness. You see, there is a contrast between his intentions and his actions. He very boldly declared his intentions, but later on we see that he didn't follow through with his actions. Isn't that true of many of us as well? We make very clear, you know, we very boldly say, I am a follower of Jesus, but how often our actions reveals something different. I, um, I have the privilege to be a chaplain. I work with a group called Marketplace Chaplains and several times this past week, I went up and down Route 95. And uh, I first traveled up Route 95 and back down this past Monday after the bridge collapse. Going up it wasn't too bad. In fact, going up I literally went right past the disaster site and looked down in. They had, cle- they had already cleared most of the debris out. But coming back down, 95 I got forced off because yes, I'm, uh, I'm one of those who's come over to the dark side with uh, Apple products. I found out that the Apple Maps wasn't updating the road closures. So I got forced off the highway and I got forced onto Tarsdale Avenue in North Philly. And instead of a 45 minute drive home, it was an hour and 45 minute drive home. And the worse the traffic got, the worse my attitude got. And an amazing thing happened right in the middle of that. I saw not one, but two trucks from companies that I work for. I was chaplains, I am chaplains to the drivers of those two trucks that ended up in front of me in all of that traffic as well. And it was as if God slapped me up the side of the head and said, hey, instead of feeling sorry for yourself, how about if you pray for these guys for whom you're a chaplain? It was a very humbling event. And uh, you see, I am one of those who boldly declares my intentions. But quite often, my actions don't mirror that. What a lesson from this passage. This passage also is a reminder of the need for self-awareness. You see, as I've already said, his overconfidence, Peter's overconfidence, led in his own abilities, led to his downfall. Sometimes our greatest strength can be our greatest weakness, can't it? And men today, I really encourage you to keep that in mind. Yes, you might be one who has extremely good self-will, but you know what? Reliance in ourselves ultimately leads to to failure. And we need to develop self-awareness. Also, admitting our limitations and re- relying on God's strength are fundamental to walking faithfully with God. I have a, I'm sure that that's something Peter learned later on because especially as you read through the letters that he wrote, you see that he grew tremendously after this event. And we to this day are benefiting from the lessons that he learned after he was restored to fellowship with Jesus and then as he became a leader in the church. And I'm sure he's one who eventually admitted his own limitations and realized the importance of relying on God's strength. Another thing that I love from this passage, and there's so much that we could dig into here, but another thing that I really appreciate from this passage is Jesus' foreknowledge of Peter's denial and it highlighted his understanding, Jesus' understanding of our human weakness and his forgiveness. You see, later on, Jesus extended love and grace to Peter, and he does the same for us, and his love and grace extends far beyond our failures and our shortcomings and also our sin. You see, Jesus' acceptance of Peter's denial serves as a reminder for you and me that no matter how far we may stray or stumble, there's always an opportunity for repentance and restoration. Did you get that? What Jesus does here is a reminder that no matter how far you stumble, no matter where you find yourself, there's always an opportunity to repent and to confess your sin and be restored. I am so encouraged by that and I'm very thankful for that. Later on, following his resurrection, as I've already mentioned, Jesus reconnects with Peter. One of the places that we read of this is John 21. And this encounter between Jesus and Peter is filled With I believe, filled with love and understanding as Jesus reaffirms Peter's purpose and his place in his plan. Remember the big idea? It's that faithfulness to Jesus is flawed when we live in weakness and self-will. Look briefly with me at uh, Mark 14, starting in verse 32. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup for me, yet not what I will, but your will be done. And he came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy. And they did not know what to answer. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise and let us be going. See my betrayer is at hand. Now I'd love to go verse by verse through this section but uh, time does not allow that. So what I'd like to do is very briefly share with you three theological themes that I see in this section that I believe flesh out what is happening here. First of all, we see Jesus' humanity and his divinity. His humanity and his divinity. In this passage, by the way, I'm I'm a wannabe writer, so I'm writing a book right now called Gethsemane Moments, which key in on this passage of scripture. So I'm really resisting going off on a tangent. You know, I could just wax, not I'm not eloquently, but I could go on for hours about this, which I'm not going to. But what we see here is that Jesus, in a very deeply human moment of anguish and distress, he's praying here. And it highlights the depth of his suffering and it emphasizes his humanity. And at the same time, he submits to the will of his Father. And so we see this interplay of his humanity and his divinity. It also reveals the will of God in all of this. Because as Jesus is praying, In the garden here, he's demonstrating his submission to the will of his father. And despite his personal anguish and the suffering that he knows is before him, he prays for God's will to be done. Men, is that something that you do regularly for your family as you're a father, as you're a leader? Do you pray that you would be willing to submit your will to the will of your Father? You see, I, because I'm a guy, I know the struggle that we have, our struggle with self-will and with God's will for our lives. Have you come to the place of where you have been willing to submit your will to that of your Father? By the way, I don't think that's a one-time thing. I think that's a daily thing, isn't it? Where Jesus says, to to deny ourselves and to take up our cross and follow him. We see the will of God and and Jesus illustrating that and the importance of aligning my desires, your desires, with God's purposes, even in the face of great difficulty. The last theme that I'll take the time here today to look at is the theme of, the failure of Peter and the other disciples. This section highlights Peter's shortcomings and the disciples' shortcomings and even their inability to remain awake and supportive during the time that Jesus needed them the most. You see, one of the things I'm fleshing out in my book, Gethsemane Moments, is in these Gethsemane Moments of life, we need the support of others around us. And Jesus pictures that in this passage. When you're going through a really difficult time and you are able to call upon others for support, isn't that encouraging? I know it may not help at the moment, but at least isn't it good to know that you have others to come alongside you during those difficult times in life? That's what Jesus in his humanness was asking for. He was asking for his disciples to be there with him at this critical time in his life. And what do they do? They fall asleep. It's kind of like, I'll never forget, early on in the first church I was pastoring, I, um, my mom and dad, who lived in West Virginia, we were pastoring in Western Pennsylvania, they, they got early, up early on a Sunday morning and drove and surprised us and sat in on the message. During the message, Mom and dad were sitting down front. Halfway through the message, I looked down. Mom was sound asleep. <laughs> Man, just when I needed your support. Now, mom worked really hard. Dad worked really hard. And apparently, my gift was putting her to sleep. And so my preaching met her needs, and for which I was very thankful. <laughs> she apologized afterwards. I could not ask for a more supportive mom, but it's amazing how often that comes up in my mind not that i'm seeing any of you doing that at the moment so but that's okay but you see jesus needed their support and their prayer and in their weakness that was their response so let me just share with you a couple things very briefly as as i wrap this up remember the big idea faithfulness to jesus is flawed when we live in weakness and self-will And that's what we see in this passage. And I'd like to share with you a couple words of encouragement because you and I, as we go out in this coming week, we are gonna be confronted with challenges of denying Jesus. And you may say, well, not me. I've been a Christian for 40 years. Well, I came to know Jesus in 1970. That's when I trusted Jesus as my savior. But I believe that we are all going to be facing tests. These are a couple of them. First of all, the fear of standing up for our faith. That's exactly what happened to the disciples a few verses on. They, many of them fled. And Peter, when he was challenged with being one who knew Jesus, what did he do? He denied him. You see, you and I may choose to remain silent and avoid acknowledging our beliefs when we're confronted or challenged by them. And that is becoming increasingly an issue today. Churches around the country are being persecuted, not because they're being belligerent in their faith, but simply for standing for biblical values. And Christians are being harassed as well. So this coming week you may be challenged with denying your faith by the fear of standing up for your faith. I think another way we can deny Jesus is by compromising our values. We may, be, we may compromise our Christian principles and we may be tempted to engage in actions or behaviors that contradict our faith. That's another way we can deny Jesus. Another way we can deny Jesus is by neglecting our relationship with God. By failing to spend time in prayer, neglecting the study of scripture, or distancing ourselves from other believers, we can deny Jesus. And let me tell you, having been a pastor for a long time, it's really easy to deny Jesus because I can work on a sermon and still neglect my personal relationship. So we need to be aware of that. Blatantly disobeying God's commands. When you and I knowingly go against God's commands and choose to live according to our own desires or according to the world's dis- standards, we're denying the Lordship of Jesus in our lives. But you know, even in light of all of that, isn't it good to know that even though Peter had this major failure in his life by denying Jesus three times, as Jesus predicted, Jesus restored him. There's a place of restoration. Because as Jesus, as you know, died upon the cross and shed his blood for our sins, he made possible the forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with our heavenly Father. So let me share this as I close. Regardless of your or my past failures, we too can find forgiveness and restoration and purpose in God's service, just as Peter did. And that's important for you and I to remember. So I have a little action step for you, just if you want to write this down and work on this later on. I'd encourage you to recall a recent failure or a disappointment, maybe, some way that you have sinned recently. I encourage you to acknowledge your sin and your weakness. I encourage you to seek God's guidance. Seek the support of others. Maybe an accountability partner if you don't have one already. The fellowship of others in your men's group or your ladies group. I encourage you to practice humility. Practice humility. Be willing to humble yourself before God. And say, God, I know I have been living in my self-will and I can no longer do that. I am not capable of doing life on my own. And I need to lean on you for strength and give thanks for your grace. That's the last thing. Leaning on and giving thanks for God's grace. Acknowledge a recent sin or weakness. Seek God's guidance. Commit to practicing humility. And lean on and give thanks for God's grace. I'd like to ask the uh, worship team to come up as I close in prayer. As we continue in our service. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this lesson from the life of Peter today. Lord, so many of us, as we see what Peter does in this passage of scripture, his, uh, some may even say he's obnoxious by the way he responds to Jesus. Father, help us to realize there is so much of Peter in each of us, and there's so many different ways we can deny you in our daily lives. So Father, I pray that in the days that lie ahead, that you through your word and your spirit may continue to help us to flesh out these truths in our lives. Father, may we be willing to, to humble ourselves and confess our sin and to acknowledge your forgiveness and to rely upon your grace and your mercy. And we thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Hill Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, please visit our website at www.mercyhillnj.org. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. at the Church House located at 300 University Boulevard in Glassboro off of Harvard Avenue adjacent to the J. Harvey Rogers School and near Rowan University. We'd love for you to join us. Please see our website for directions. Thank you again for listening to the Mercy Hill Sermon Podcast.